Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. The Dillard family of companies, including Dillard Door and Security, Tri-State Glass, and Trace Electric, are proud sponsors of WYXR. For the past 75 years, the Dillard companies have provided products that secure Memphis. From installing the iconic gates at Graceland to the Memphis Tigers Liberty Bowl locker room, Dillard protects what matters to Memphians like you. For more information, visit DillardDoor.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum, your host. And this week, my guest is Tanya Meeks, who's the new district council coordinator for the local chapter of the Urban Land Institute. And I've had a couple of programs over the years on Urban Land Institute-related topics. So I look forward to talking to Tanya and hearing about what she's what's in the works for the Memphis chapter of ULI. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Emily. It's good to be here. So Tanya, I think that um, probably a lot of people listening to this program know, you know, what Urban Land Institute is, but um, just give us a little, give us your elevator speech. <laughs> the elevator speech is Urban Land Institute is a membership organization with chapters throughout the world. Uh, I think there may be 30 some odd countries where, where we have uh, entities. Nonetheless, it is a membership organization centered around uh, the built conversations in the built community or the built environment. Um, that could include, you know, conversations uh, relative to government, regular lay people, developers, architects, you know, it includes a wide range of folks who could be involved in those conversations. And so we're just an organization elevating that conversation here regionally or here in the city of Memphis, but hopefully in sometime in the future regionally. I've always thought of you, Alina, because I was a member for, for, when I was working community development, I was a member for a number of years and attended a lot of events. I've always thought of it as sort of an enlightened real estate industry group. But that kind of has connotations of indulgent, you know, navel gazing. <laughs> well, I just meant it's, it's, you know, it's people primarily in the in the real estate industry, all the different all the different segments that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and um, but people that are. Um, I'm sure everyone doesn't fall in this category, but people in the real estate industry that are really working to make the the places they work in better. Yep. And to think not just, not just in terms of real estate, that's why we use the term built environment to think, you know, a little bit more innovatively uh, about the sector um, and, 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 and think about, you know, raising the conversations, the ideas, uh, and, and thinking about it a little bit more forward than where we are right now. Uh, so not just making it better, but just being a little bit more forward thinking as we think about the built environment in and of itself. So the um, so the the local uh, 
ULI started around 15 years ago. Does that sound about right? Mm-hmm. Almost 15 years ago. So you're relatively new to the position of coordinator. And I, and I guess as the coordinator, you're really the main staff person who's organizing the programs. And the, there's a lot of committee work at ULI. I remember that. And the, the programs, the events, and... Um, and of course there's a national component as well, I'm sure. But so what, what's your background and then what, um, appealed to you about coming to this position? Well, my background, well, I'll start first with what appeals to me relative to the position is that it's a nonprofit leadership position. It's essentially, you know, coordinating all the things that an executive director of a full-time position would do for a nonprofit entity. It's, you know, bringing those talents that I have in the nonprofit sector to one place and seeing them play out. I'm, you know, by trade and by profession, you know, a consultant to nonprofits and government relative to strategic planning, uh, development, fund development and fundraising, uh, strategic communications and just general business operations. And so um, I have over the years, I've had clients, you know, I've been running my business for over a decade and I've had clients and I've had projects and I've had wonderful projects that I've worked on, but I work on those projects uh, for a, a finite amount of time and then I have to leave them and I don't get to follow up on them unless they pay me to do it. <laughs> I don't really get to follow up on them. I have to let them go. Um, that's the nature of the work of a consultant. But in this position, when I found out about it, I thought this would be a wonderful opportunity for me to bring all of my backgrounds, all of my expertise or, or experience more so than anything to one position and to see all of this play out together and a little bit more long-term to see it be successful, you know, and just, you know, just a, just a need and a desire as a human being for some sense of accomplishment for putting a stamp of yourself on something, I think. Um, but then on top of that, my first full-time job out of college many, many years ago when I lived in Atlanta, I was a, I started off as a writer, <laughs> as a freelance writer. And I, but I needed a full-time job because I thought I was a good writer, but I really wasn't making that much money doing it. And so my first full-time job was as an office manager for a real estate developer and property manager. Okay. Uh, and I worked that job and loved it. And everything that I learned about business and operations and the law and all of that stuff started with that with my stint with them uh, and the projects that I worked on there. Well, plus you probably um, you know knew the vocabulary of real mm -hmm. estate because mm -hmm. I mean before we started recording, I told you about my jargon belt because real estate is full of you know, pro formas and ROI. Yeah. And there's all <laughs> kinds of, of like a jargon of vocabulary in any industry and real estate. So you probably, so when you went in for an interview, you could probably talk the talk. <laughs> I could, I, I, I didn't, I didn't think that I would remember all this stuff. But then on top of that, after leaving that real estate firm, which I always like to give them a shout out, Braden Feldman Group in Atlanta, Georgia. They're wonderful. But and I'm still friends with the folks uh, who started that firm. Um, but when I left there, I went on to become I thought I was going to go to law school and my focus was going to be transactional law and real estate. And I but I became a paralegal and trained in that and was still speaking that language and doing all of that work. But then decided along the way, like I moved over to the um, international side of legal work and, as a paralegal, very sexy job. I traveled all over the world, did all this stuff. And when it was time for me to come back and think about going to law school and focusing on that, I was like, no way. 
I'm going in another direction. I've done all this great stuff as a paralegal and I'm not going to back up and have to do grunt work around all the stuff, you know, that it would take to move into the legal side of that transactional work and real estate work. So, so. you sort of did been there, <laughs> done that without actually having to go to law school. I love it's so that. unfair. <laughs> Right. I love that. That's so interesting. <laughs> well, you know, I would, I, my master's is in city and regional planning. I went to, to the University of Memphis, I sort of the, did a midlife career change. And, um, and I took a bunch of real estate classes because yeah. uh, I thought it was very interesting. Of course, it's a big intersection of planning and real estate and thought I might want to do that. And then I ended up working in community development. But um, yeah, I've always been interested in real estate. So I'm glad you ended up at the position. Seems like a great fit. Me too. I love it here. I actually love this position. It's a lot of work, you know, being a one woman show again, uh, but having the, have, being a, a chapter of what we call a district council of the national and international entity. Um, it helps because a lot of the back office stuff that you would be uh, that you would be burdened with doing alone. You know, you have a centralized system to help. Like you administering all the memberships and the event mm-hmm. registration mm-hmm. and all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a great, that's great. Yeah. And probably when, um, and I want to talk a little bit about COVID in a minute, but I'm guessing, you know, when COVID hit, um, you know, the, the, the national ULI helped, you know, help the, the local chapters pivot um, with, um, you know, with overnight going to virtual programming and all of mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about programs. Um, that's a yep. big part of what ULI does for its members and for and for the community. And that can be tours or workshops, panel discussions. There's a whole variety of things I've attended over the years. So yeah. uh, um, you've got a couple programs coming up I'd like to talk about. With, you know, Memphis Metropolis is not so much, uh, I think of it as sort of an evergreen show. I don't think people listen to it right when it comes out. And so um, <laughs> people aren't going to probably know about this, this something that's happening it's next okay. week. But having said that, I'm interested in a couple things you've got coming up and then just how you see the programs unfolding over the year. And, you know, and if you want to mention a couple, I mean, I was thinking about local things, but I know you do a lot of national programming. So it's a national programming coming up that it would be very relevant locally for sure. I'd like to hear about that. Oh, absolutely. Well, at the time of taping, (laughs) that's probably something you would say in the edit, but (laughs) at the time of taping, you know, we have, we're uh, just about to, um, We've launched and we're just about to have the first of three events as part of our um, ULI Memphis uh, virtual series or to to kick off the 2022 events. Uh, The first of that will be January 12th. Uh, It's called the Receivership, a Solution to Blight. And in that, um, one of our ULI um, inspiration, what we call the Programs Committee members, uh, Leslie Smith with the Memphis Blight. uh, Oh, uh, yeah. I'm on the board. The Blight Authority of Memphis. I always mix it up, but Mm -hmm. I have to say it's bam, bam, bam. Bam. (laughs) But Leslie Smith with that organization is also on our programs committee, and she helped to pull together this talk around receivership. Um, She, as part of BAM, of course, gets tons of calls and inquiries from other ULI members about blighted properties in areas and what can be done. A lot of those properties, a lot of times, are stuck in environmental court. And um, so that I don't bore your listeners too much, but, um, and, and the only thing holding them up from moving through that process is being assigned to a receiver. 
And so they'll talk, she and uh, Carlissa Shaw, who is with uh, Shelby County government and also Vincent Sawyer, who is with the Neighborhood Preservation Inc. Um, they will embark upon this conversation uh, or engage us in this conversation around that subject matter, which seems to be, blight seems to be a, still a real issue, you know. Oh, for uh, sure. If it's, uh, we have a whole authority uh, assigned to it um, via government, um, but you know, but it's just one of the solutions or one of the tools in the toolbox in addressing that. Well, and before um, you go on, um, the um, I'm not going to ring my bell, but just for people that don't know, um, receivership is is kind of I'm very familiar with. It. It's kind of like almost temporary ownership of a blighted mm-hmm. property. I'm sure mm-hmm. we got in trouble with someone, Steve Barlow or Leslie, about describing it that way. But basically, yeah. you know, a lot of times, blighted properties, the owner just won't fix them mm-hmm. up. They won't, they mm-hmm. refuse to, or they don't have any capacity. So the court actually can, can give the property temporarily to someone mm-hmm. else who will, and then, and who, who will agrees to fix it up. And then I'm simplifying, obviously. And then yeah. if the original owner wants it back, they can get it back at some point. Obviously they've got to pay for some, and sometimes it ends up being sold for community use, but that's basically what it is. And it, like yeah. you said, it's a strategy to sort mm-hmm. of um, ignite the redevelopment of these real problem properties that have just not been fixed up. So yep. didn't mean to put words in your no. mouth, but I wanted to sort of define that a little bit because no, it is, I think that's great. It's it's a little bit of a wonky concept, but incredibly important. Incredibly so anyways, important. So anyway, and. And relative to um, sustainability, uh, I, when I think about receivership, I always think about it in terms of how Leslie's explained it to me and how other folks have explained it to me in the process of my helping to put together this program, is that it's this really sustainable way of thinking about building neighborhoods uh, and building community uh, yep. for the most part, instead of owners who live in the neighborhood close to the blighted property or owners uh, who have properties in the neighborhood next to the blighted properties, moving their property out or selling or whatever. It's a solution to help build capacity inside of that neighborhood. Uh, that's a very nonprofit way of thinking about <laughs> and a sustainable way of thinking about how do you build community and neighborhood? How do you use uh, built uh, community um, mechanisms to help, you know, remedy some of the problems inside of a neighborhood? Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then go ahead. Uh, I was just going to go on to the next program, yeah, but oh, if you do, have yeah. questions on that. And then the next uh, program that we have coming up is um, another another uh, presentation um, by uh, World Relief Memphis. Um, uh, the director there, PJ Moore, um, apparently I didn't know a whole lot about World Relief Memphis until, um, you know, a few weeks ago, apparently. Um, they are their their direct aim is to is caring for newcomers to Memphis who are affected by poverty, violence, disaster, and mass displacement. Um, and w- in the wake of you know so many things happening in the world, we're in the middle, of course, a massive pandemic, which I call a panini, not to even say the word. We're in the we're in the middle of a massive panini <laughs> with um and then then you know the war in Afghanistan, you know, has finally come to an official close. And with refugees and displaced folks throughout the world right now for various reasons, um they're looking to host that entity is looking to host about three to four hundred people um this year, I think. Um, and they one of the biggest issues of course is affordable housing. 
uh, hospitable housing uh, for those folks and how do we address that? And so, you know, they don't have the answers as an entity, so they're reaching out to have a conversation about it, especially in context of, you know, a city like Memphis where, you know, there's a huge divide between the have and have nots and there's a housing shortage throughout the United States and maybe even the world, I don't know, throughout the United States. And these are issues, this is a bigger issue that's just not, you know, um, exclusive to this particular um, this particular challenge um, that the entity is presenting. So we're looking at it, you know, a call for a conversation within a bigger context of affordable housing. Uh, yeah, I, signed, I signed up for that. I'm very interested. In that. Yeah. I'd, love, I'd love to do a, a Memphis Metropolis with them. That's just very interesting yeah. because, you know, there's, um, there's, you know, some of the, of course, a lot of the refugees have been historically um, lived in Binghampton and some of that yep. housing has gone away mm-hmm. um, in the process of that neighborhood becoming redeveloped. And so I'm looking forward to hearing that program. I think it'd be too. very interesting. Well, I'm kind of, you know, I'm really excited about this programming because it's, it's, you know, I've been inside of the built community and working with entities in the nonprofit world around some of this subject, but I haven't had the opportunity to really just delve in and understand more. So I'm really excited uh, when I booked this, 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 this uh, event to happen, I was like, send me more because <laughs> I really want to engage in the conversation myself uh, without taking it over, of course. Well, and what other, other, um, well, anyway, were you going to, was there something else you were going to say? Cause I, I was going to ask a related question. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I guess are there, I know that ULI, you know, kind of planned that as both, are, are there, um, you know, sort of themes or topic areas you expect there to be, you know, more of this year? I just feel like, you know, with, of course, of course, COVID has affected the real estate industry mm-hmm. uh, in addition to affecting, you know, your ability to put on programs, but also, you know, the real estate market in Memphis has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. It's gotten a lot hotter. There's more. And of course, Memphis 3.0, the comprehensive plan yes. is attracting private investment to some new areas. Are there mm-hmm. any, are, are there, have the members said, you know, we really need this kind of programming, Tanya, can you help pull that together and things like that that you're hearing? Yeah, well, remember, it's really difficult to tell now, um, you know, with the transition of ULI, you know, splitting operationally from Region Smart earlier in the fiscal year, um, we've had to sort of regroup and decide on what we want our programming and events to be, you know, because before those, you may not know, but, you know, uh, your listeners may not know, but, you know, before those events and that programming was done in conjunction with Region Smart. And now that we've split away, we've just been kind of trying to take a look at, you know, the programming that the national entity is pushing out um, for us to adapt on the local level and also what's needed on the local level, you know, what members here locally want to see. Um, But part of the benefit of being a member here on the local level is that you have access to things that are happening nationally and internationally. So it's like this balance and push me, pull me on that. But nonetheless, you know, given COVID-19 and subsequent um, variants and surges and lockdowns and, you know, all kinds of stuff. It's just been all over the place. And it's really, really hard to tell what members might want. So what I plan to do is regroup and um, in early February, hopefully we can go back to doing stuff in person. 
And um, I'm going to have someone from ULI National come down and um, talk about trends in the region, in the area, in the region, and then that and how that relates nationally. We had someone similar earlier as a speaker in the fiscal year, but it wasn't well attended and still in the middle of the Delta surge. So nonetheless, have them come down and just sort of reset us, you know, as a chapter and talk about some of these trends and some of these things. And then I think from there, that'll help to spark you know, um, some of the conversation around where we want to go um, as a local chapter and what are the things we want to focus on and what's the programming we want to focus on here locally. I have some things in mind, some things that I want to do, some things on the horizon, like, you know, out in Fraser, there's been like this whole, you know, revitalization and all of this, all of this building and all of this thinking and all of this stuff happening in direct alignment with Memphis 3.0. And I wanted to do a Fraser, Fraser centric, you know, program and tour out that's there. A, for that's the a great idea. I just, so, yeah. I, just did a, I just did a program a couple of weeks ago on the new um, Ed Rice Community Center Yes, with Todd yes. Walker from Markomania and then Shelly mm-hmm. Rice from the Fraser Exchange Club. So it's time. And they, they talked about that. There's tons going on in Fraser. That sounds like mm-hmm. great. You know, you could, I'm so excited. You could do a tour <laughs> and then do a panel after that. That's maybe exactly what new, we're going to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great minds think alike. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to ask about Regents Park, but, but, but before that, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. And we're talking to Tanya Meeks, who's the new District Council Coordinator for Urban Land Institute here in Memphis. And we're talking about, you know, just her arriving at the organization, also some of the programs that the organization has in the hopper. So, but but you mentioned that. So, so several years ago, and I don't want to get into the ULI weeds too much, but several years ago, um, ULI created a program called Region Smart, and um, and those two entities have recently kind of spun off from each other. But but explain what the two entities are differently, how they differ, um, and then and then we'll talk about a joint program, um, which is um, for emerging developers that you have that you still both run together. But just talk just talk briefly about Region Smart, what it is, and um, how it's different from the regular. The, the regular ULI. I'm using air quotes here, but nobody can yeah. see, of course. <laughs> Region Smart started off as a as initially as an uh, initiative. Initially, initially as an initiative. That's pretty bad. But anyhow, as an initiative, um, as part of ULI, and then um, it went so well, and it was an initiative that engaged. Um, mayors and leaders in the tri-state area around issues, um, I suppose, in the built environment. And it went so well that it rolled off its own program. Uh, and on top of that, the national organization wasn't really pushing it as a as a signature program to carry on. And so, but but it, it was such a beneficial program to this region that, you know, um, the, the leaders at the time of ULI just kept it going. Then it rolled off as its own you know, entity, and it worked in conjunction with ULI operationally as both entities began to grow. You know, and you know, ULI Memphis is still a chapter of the of the international and national organization reporting to the office in DC. Not to get in the weeds, I know you're going to ring your bell soon. <laughs> uh, but 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 ULI is still ULI Memphis still works as a chapter of the national entities and its in and its goals and initiatives that it's pushing on the national level and we're just adapting them here regionally for the most part. Um, Region Smart is more locally focused. It's a local. It's a homegrown local entity and it's more locally focused. And they have their 
they have their their own program, you know, goals and marks and all that great stuff that they're trying to get to. So um, we decided to split because I think just both entities were just growing, you know, they were growing in different directions. And so that's a good thing for Memphis, I suppose. Well, it also would get confusing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I was a community development council, we started this program called Livable Memphis that got to be so big and so prominent that people thought they were two separate nonprofit organizations. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was very confusing having them under one mm-hmm. roof. Eventually, you know, the organization came, you know, building Memphis and it all got rolled under one brand again. But it mm-hmm. is it is confusing if you have yeah. two two sort of well-known brands, as it were, under one roof. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can get that. So, but but I do want to ask about the uh, the program, and I don't. I'm going to call it the Ready program, but you'll have to remind Ready. me what Ready R E D is is um, is an acronym for. But that's a program that ULI started that I think is you're still operating with Region Smart, which is a really great program to bring um, new people into the real estate industry that mm-hmm. are. Um, new people in the real estate industry that, I mean, real estate industry, and I did a program on this. Um, I, I mentioned to you on the equity challenge that you did because the real estate industry, of course, is, um, you know, a lot of older white men, I'm generalizing. And uh, and the industry, of course, in the, you know, the past year or so has really, like a lot of industries confronted, um, you know, with the, the Black Lives Matter and confronted a lot of those issues. And, mm-hmm. but I feel like Memphis was thinking about those things earlier, early mm-hmm. on before the murder of George Floyd and, and was mm-hmm. worth working on those issues. And one of the things was to make, reduce some of the barriers to entry for people entering the industry. So explain a little bit more about that program. And then, um, and then, I know some some people just graduated from your from the, the yeah. program, and so I'm probably answering my own question, which I don't mean to do, <laughs> but but um, please elaborate. No, um, so Ready stands for the Real Estate Diversity Initiative. Um, it is a it is a, a signature um, um, ULI program on the national level that was inc- started and sort of incubated in um, Colorado in some of the Colorado um, district councils some years ago. I don't remember the years. It is a program that we still that is still offered uh, with with uh, ULI Memphis and and uh, Region Smart being partners on that. So Region Smart administers it uh, for the most part and. Um, administers it as a program, as a set program for the most part. Uh, and ULI Memphis creates programming around relevant programming events and workshops and things like that around it. That's that, that will be our roles going forward relative to it. Um, I didn't have a whole lot to do with this recent graduating class simply because I didn't come on board until just when they were starting. Uh, but there was a, a graduating class um, just a few weeks ago and I went to the graduation. It was fantastic. Uh, there were three groups. They were split off into three groups to to um, illustrate uh, the deep dive they took into a big real estate project. And um, well, there will be more published about um, that experience for them. Um, it's a three month venture and um, it culminates into the graduating um, event where those 
projects, well, they're grouped off into, into segments and, and then they put together projects around, I guess, a problem. But I wasn't involved intimately in the programming this year, but I will be next year, um, <laughs> next fiscal year, I should say. And, um, but it was really exciting to go to the graduation and see all the folks involved and, and all the projects that came out of them. They were incredibly exciting. We're going to feature them on um, our social media and um, web page and all that good stuff, our communication going forward, the graduating class, but it happened right before the Christmas holiday. So we haven't had a chance to pull it together, polish it up and put it out there for folks to see. Well, will the people go through the, pro so, so um, am I right to say it's sort of a, um, an introduction to real estate development? Yep. And will the people that go through the program have an opportunity to stay involved with ULI? Because I know that um, in my own experience, I mean, ULI is a great organization, but it's, you know, primarily professionals. So it's, yep. it's not something that, you know, costs $50 a year to belong to. Um, so, um, so people will be, be able to continue on. Yeah. Inherently as part of, um, your registration um, with the Ready program, um, you are given a ULI membership for a year. And then you can take part, and that that is supposed to be the catalyst in keeping those graduates um, both interested and engaged uh, in ULI programming, maybe helping to shape ULI programming going forward for the most part. There are many opportunities for leadership. You know, once you've gone through that program and you're a member, there are opportunities for leaderships on our programs committee, on our young leaders group committee, uh, steering committee, all kinds of opportunities along the way uh, that could keep them engaged. And then just our general programming, you know, um, you can help shape what that looks like. Well, I mean, in the we, region, we hope that's the future of real estate development mm -hmm. that will um, be, you know, one tool in, you know, in diversifying the organization and the industry on all different levels. I mean, I realize that one program can't, you can't turn the Titanic in and of itself, but for sure it could make a start. It could. And it's really interesting because one of our members, the one I mentioned earlier, Leslie Smith, um, who's with, um, with BAM, um, she just, she was one of the, the graduates um, a few weeks ago from the uh, Ready program. And she's also on our programs committee and she helped to put together the event that we, the upcoming event we have next week. Um, and, um, really talk me through the subject matter. So she has already shown great leadership um, initiative um, relative to ULI in conjunction with doing, you know, the program, the ready program via region smart. So, well, and she's a great leader. I mean, I talked to her this mm -hmm. week and she's, and she's been on the program. She mm -hmm. said that she spoke very highly about the program the mm -hmm. Ready program, and in fact, I think wants to try to send some of her. She's hired a couple of staff people um, at Blight Authority, and would mm -hmm. like to send them through the program as well. I think mm -hmm. she felt like mm -hmm. it was, especially, um, you know, sort of in the blight eradication business. Even though mm -hmm. you're not doing real estate deals, the more you understand about how the real estate industry works makes it easier to market the properties, the blighted mm -hmm. properties and think about creative uses for it and whether or not, I mean, and of course, real estate development projects have got to break even or make money. And so uh, the more you understand about that, I think that's very, to the extent we can eliminate blight in our community generally or reduce it. 
um, you know, turning those properties into real estate deals, that's got to happen. Yep. And, and I came to just ULI in general, although I do have some real estate experience and a background, I still came from a more of a nonprofit perspective. So I want to understand a lot more about that particular programming. Um, I think it is a an incredible program. And uh, it's one of those programs ULI National is trying, is pushing throughout the country, is incubating it in different places and trying to figure out where it can be scaled, you know, um, even bigger, I think. And so I, I want to, I'm going to take myself intimately through the program uh, the next time we have a cohort. And um, I'm looking forward to it. That's a great idea. And I didn't know it was a mm-hmm. national ULI program. That's great. Mm-hmm. I'm glad, it, mm-hmm. so glad it was able to be implemented here. Mm-hmm, me too. So Tanya, before I let you go, what else are you excited about, about ULI in 2022? I'm so excited about ULI in 2022, although in 2022, it's the remainder of the, you know, of the original fiscal year. I love it that but- you've, re- you've renamed it the Panini. Because, um, <laughs> you know, I love, to, I love to eat and I do love sandwiches. So... <laughs> That's much you follow me on social media, so you know I love food. That's a much better name. Anyway, you, you were saying that um for twenty um, I was thinking about the calendar year twenty twenty two. Twenty the calendar year twenty twenty two, we will um um we will continue on with some of the virtual programming through the virtual program programming through January. Then in February we look to do some hybrid programming because I think we'll be I think we'll be past the variant um, where you know we can feel safe about gathering people again. Plus it'll be a little bit warmer. And then in in March I'm looking to really kick March off with a party. I, I, I really I'm kicking spring off with a party. We got to have an annual meeting and bring some you know and bring some ideas and some thoughts and some people together and just you know we just got to get back to it. I think you know and I think we have to find a way to safely do that. And I think once we, once we do a kickoff of that, once the tone has been set that, you know, we're going to try to go back to, you know, gathering again in person, doing the things responsibly, responsibly that we're supposed to do, um, that we get back to the idea that, you know, we're talking built environment conversations, you know, that in itself lends itself to people being in person (laughs) in built edifices and built, you know, in built uh, uh, spaces and environments. And so we need to get back to being in person. And I have been completely vigilant during this pandemic and, you know, done all the things I'm supposed to do, got on the shots, you know, wear all the masks, do all the things. But I even know now it's just time to get back in person and roll out some programming that's engaging and that has people thinking and talking. That interaction in itself is like, not to get too yogic about it, but it's a healer. You know, I think we all need that at this point, you know, Um, sitting behind computer screens, having conversations, not making actual eye contact, um, it's not a way to have conversations about this industry and the sector uh, and about innovation around it. And so I really do want to find a way to get us back in person and having these conversations, if that makes sense. Definitely. Well, especially, I mean, because, you know, the spaces themselves, you know, foster conversation and are inspirational. I've been on a number of ULI tours over the years and those are always great, especially mm-hmm. when the developer or the architect can be there and talk about the project. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, nothing can replace that. Nothing, nothing. You can do it. I've done some things virtually and they, they work for a little while, but 
I can I can totally see how folks are just really just zoomed out. They're just virtual space zoomed out. That you know, there are some things from this. I'm sure we'll take forward in using. You know, it's it'll be great to have you know videos and virtual content to have you know up on websites so people can see who may you know not have been there. But at the end of the day, we're talking innovation in the built environment, and it's really important that people get back into person, into these built spaces to have conversations. Um, so that's my goal is to just how do we safely do that? How do we engage people? How do people want to be engaged? I think at some point, Emily, we're certainly going to have to take a survey of membership again to see how they want to be engaged. Not, I mean, people probably don't even know at this point, you know, so much has gone on. And so we'll probably survey the membership and and, and try to figure out, you know, how they would like to be engaged going forward. But certainly that will be the, the goal is, is getting them back engaged in these conversations. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Well, I'll post, um, you know, a link to your website on the, mm -hmm. you know, in the show notes for the podcast version of the program. Okay. And so people can look and see, because, you know, a lot of the programs are open to the public and, and some of these new programs are free. So, you know, a lot of times in the in-person programs, there's a, 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 a modest cost for people from the community that aren't members, but some of the virtual programming is free. I've attended a bunch of things since the, but I'm, I'm with you. It's time to get mm -hmm. back. It's time to get back to in-person. Yeah. It's certainly time to get back in person. And, um, you know, and that there's some there's some there's some things on the back burner that we're cooking to see if it, it's going to work. And, and like I said, it will lend they, they all lend themselves to our getting back in person to do them tours and things like that. And then and the Fraser centric one that I mentioned, and I'm so excited about I had a conversation with Alex Willis about it and uh, Rashawn Austin, who's on our board uh, on our management committee um, for ULI Memphis. You know, um, I plan to get together and we, you know, are just going to work on something to really engage folks in that conversation because lots of exciting things like that, I think are happening around Memphis and it's time to start focusing on and getting people back into them. For sure. Well, there's lots to talk about and see in Frasier. So I love yes, Frasier yes. and all the people that are doing great work up there. So <laughs> Me too. I'm completely in favor of that. So <laughs> Me too. Me okay. Too. All right. Well, great. Well, so you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum, and I've been talking to Tanya Meeks, who's the District Council Coordinator for Urban Land Institute Memphis. So Tanya, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. I hope I didn't talk too much though. <laughs> no, you did absolutely did not. Russ College is now accepting applications for the fall 2022 semester. For more information, visit russcollege.edu or contact admissions at 662-252-8000, extension 4043. Rust College, where tomorrow's leaders are students today. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR. 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.